Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. This week, um, for, for those of us who, who remain, um, we're going to be continuing our look at the original Christmas carols, the original songs of Christmas, the songs that were sang in that very first Christmas. And so if you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along today, um, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 2. Um, that, that's where we're going to be this morning. We finally come to the Christmas, the, 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 the Christmas story, the story that you're, you're familiar with as we spent the last two weeks in Luke chapter 1. But this week we come to Luke chapter 2. And we've been using these moments of, of seeming, seemingly song that, that happens, that breaks out in the midst of the Christmas story as sort of our backdrop for walking through Christmas this year. We, we looked at Mary's heart as, as she stood and, and took in all that God had said to her, all the promises God had made to her as God revealed for her the, 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 the call on her life and the story that her life was going to tell. And she seemingly, in, in Matthew chapter 1, or sorry, Luke chapter 1, breaks out in song, and her, and her song is called the Magnificent, and then we looked at how Mary's cousin-in-law, Zachariah, as, as his story is told, and, and he is told he's going to have a son, or yeah, he's going to have a, have a son, and his mouth is, is shut, and he's not able to speak for nine months, and, and then God releases that, and he's able to finally speak, and what pours out of his heart is this song of love for God, this song of praise for God. Now this week we're going to take a slight departure in looking at, at these, these songs, if only because what we've looked at the last two weeks are the overflow of the hearts of people. And this week we're not going to look at the overflow of the hearts of people, we're going to look at the overflow of the hearts of some angels. The first two weeks were probably some songs you were, you were a little less familiar with. That typically when we tell the narrative, we stop at the points of the songs. Because they, they, they we're telling the story and then Mary sings this song for 11 verses or whatever. But we kind of just skip over that because we want to tell the story. And the last two weeks were probably songs you were, you were fairly unfamiliar with. This week it's probably the one you're the most, most familiar with. And next week on Christmas Day, we're going to look at Simeon and his song of promise. And that will be probably another one you're not quite as familiar with. But if we begin at the, the start of Luke chapter 2 to see how we get to this song, we, we see the conclusion of the narrative that we began a couple weeks ago. When, when we started talking about how this, this angel, and, and Julie talked about how this angel would show up to Mary and he would tell her all these things that are going to take place. All of these amazing, incredible, hard to fathom and hard to understand things that are going to take place in her life. At the beginning of Luke chapter 2, we come to the fulfillment of all of these things. And we're told right at the beginning of Luke chapter 2 that because of a government order, 
Mary and Joseph are having to make a, a, a fairly substantial trip, especially for the time, of, or the, the time in which they lived, at a time when Mary was very, very pregnant. Verse 1 of Luke chapter 2 will say, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And so on the surface, it's presented to us as if Caesar made a choice and he makes this command that, that everybody has to go back to their hometown where they were born in order to register for this census. But it's not actually simply a government order that's taking place here. See, what we're actually seeing here is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Because in, in Micah chapter 5, God through his prophet gives, gives this message. But you Bethlehem, Ephrathan, why can't I say that? Ephrathan, nah, I can't say Ephrahath. Through you all are, are, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. In the Old Testament, God gives this prophecy that the one who is coming to be God's ruler, to be the one who would be set up, is going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, Nazareth and Bethlehem are not the same place. They're about 140 kilometers apart. It's about the distance from here to Lacombe, if you know where Lacombe is. And so they are far from where they need to be in order for this prophecy to be fulfilled. And they're not going to choose to make this trip on their own. I don't know that, that even today, very many, very many of us would certainly respond all of that well. When you are very much nine months pregnant and your husband says, hey, I got an idea. Let's go for a 140 kilometer walk. Don't worry, you can ride a donkey if you need. That, that, that's not going to go well. And he, even, if, even if Joseph comes to Mary and says, I really think God told me we should do this, your pregnant wife is going to say no. So, the, so God, in his infinite power and his infinite wisdom, climbs all the way up the ladder to the most powerful person in the world. He climbs all the way up to the leader of the Roman Empire, to Caesar. And God uses Caesar to ensure that Mary and Joseph are where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there. That even a verse like this, that when we read you know, Luke chapter 1, and we, we read, in those days Caesar Augustus, it, it, it's like background noise to the Christmas story. It sets, the, it sets the tone. It, you know, it gives us some information, but okay, let's go. But there is an incredible promise and an incredible picture of who God is and the lengths that he will go to to ensure that his word is true. God uses Caesar to make sure that his prophecy of where the Messiah would be born comes to fruition. And so, friends, if we ever 
in our own lives look at our lives and say, this seems too big for God. How is God possibly going to be able to make this happen? God used Caesar to ensure that Mary and Joseph would be exactly where they needed to be when they needed to be there. There's nothing too big for God, and there's nothing too far for God. If God can use Caesar, God can use anything. And so because of this this census, Mary and Joseph, they they take the very long, very arduous traveling that they would have to endure to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And again, Mary is very, very pregnant at this point. We know this because what we read in verse 6 is that while they got to Bethlehem, as they were in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. Verse verse 6 says, while they were there, the time came For the baby to be born. And verse 7 tells us, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Depending on your translation, it may say things like there's no room for them at the inn or, or they could find no place to stay. But sometimes when we read this part of the account, we can get the idea that that Joseph dropped the ball a little bit. He forgot to book a hotel room. He didn't call ahead. He didn't book an Airbnb. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't do his, his first thing that he needs to do as a dad is have a place for his, his wife and his new child. And, and he forgot to call ahead. He forgot to make a reservation. They, they get to Bethlehem and, and there's the Bethlehem Inn and, and there's a no vacancy sign. And they Please, my wife, she's about to have a baby. Oh, please, my wife, she just had a baby. And no, sorry, there's no rooms available. But the context of this is actually a little bit different. See, oftentimes when we, when we tell this story, and we tell the story like we did a couple weeks ago about Mary and the angel showing up to her, one of the things that we'll often talk about, because it's good and it's right, is to talk about how hard society would have been on Mary as an unwed mother. That, that people would disown her. That, that people would treat her poorly. That as people began to see she, she's pregnant and she's not married, she would lose friends, she would lose family, she would lose relationships because this is, was not okay. And at this moment in verse 7, we actually see the, 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 that come true. Because it's not that they would have looked to, to stay in a hotel. Culturally, that's, that's not what happened. They had to go back to Bethlehem because Bethlehem is where Joseph's family is from. And so Joseph's family would have been responsible for taking them in. Joseph's family would have been the ones to say, come and stay stay with us. You can come and stay at our house. His, His brothers and sisters, his cousins, whatever it may be, you are welcome in our home." Except what we see is that when Mary and Joseph knock on the door and they get a load of Mary, who's nine months pregnant, and they say, we weren't invited to the wedding. 
When did you get married? You're not married. You know, our guest room is kind of full. We actually don't have a place for you to stay. Uh, maybe, maybe go try Uncle Jim's house. Maybe Uncle Jim will, will be able to let you stay there. Oh, um, sorry, my, my guest room is full too. And we see that the family that culturally should have been come in says stay out. To the point where they have nowhere left to turn. And Joseph hears those words that, that so many fathers have heard in the past that, that you remember and it's a blur when, when your wife, who's very pregnant, says to you, it's time. This baby is coming. And so Joseph, in, in an effort to do whatever he can do, he, he finds an animal's pen and says, this is the best I can do in this moment. I've got no more family. We've got nowhere to go. Ugh. And so the baby is born in an animal's pen and placed in an animal's feeding trough. It's into this that the baby's born. But then this, this really amazing story takes a really weird turn. See, we, we've just had, from, from, from a narrative point of view, we, we've just had the most amazing thing take place. God has been born as a baby, as a child. God has come. Emmanuel, God is with us. The incarnation has just taken place. Mary has just given birth. And instead of lingering on this, this situation, instead of letting us know how things are going, what's happening, what's Mary feeling, what's Joseph feeling, what's going on in their lives, we immediately shift locations. The baby is born... Now let's look at something else. Verse, verse 7 that we read. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The one who will save people from their sins. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. This hard, like, smash cut where we're at one thing and then all of a sudden we're moving on to something else. These shepherds, we don't, we don't stay with Mary. We don't stay with the baby. Instead, we go to these shepherds, these, these men who herded livestock for a living. These men who were born at the very bottom, or these men who, who were living at the very bottom of the social structure. See, the work was dirty. The work was dangerous. Shepherds lived outside all year round. Men who, who were shepherds usually didn't aspire to be a shepherd. A shepherd was the kind of job you ended up with. That when all else fails, well, I can always be a shepherd. Because... There's no bar to clear. You just got to show up and somebody will let you be a shepherd. And so the men who were, would be out shepherding weren't like, oh, wow, shepherds. It was, oh, shepherds. Ugh, gross. We don't want them, them here. Fairly or unfairly, 
the character of a shepherd was, was not highly regarded. Shepherds tended to be socially inept, hygienically challenged, and culturally looked down on. These were not, as, as we're seeing the birth of the Savior of the world, we cut to just about the most bizarre place you could probably go to. Here's these shepherds. So when God's messenger says he came to, came to bring good news to all people, he showed that by starting at the bottom. That if, if shepherds were allowed in, then there was nothing to keep anybody else out. That if shepherds were invited into this story, then whoever you were, you could at least say, well, I'm better than a shepherd. So if they're here, I can be here. But immediately after the birth of Jesus, we go to this company of shepherds that we see our next Christmas carol, our next song of Christmas. If we go back to our text, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes or cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. First, there's one angel that shows up. And these shepherds are terrified because they've probably done a lot of bad things in their life. And now they're thinking, it's all coming back now. You know, God has sent an angel to deal with us. This, this is not good. But instead, he tells them that he's got good news of great joy. And he gives them specific details and instructions about where this baby, this, this Messiah is and how they can find him. And then we read in verse 13 that, that he's, a, he's joined by a great company of angels, a company of heavenly hosts appeared. That that phrase, a company, it means more than could be counted. It doesn't just mean a bunch. It doesn't just mean a few. It means that the sky was lit up with more angels than you could possibly count. Angels from here to infinity. And this choir of angels leads us to our song today. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace on whom his favor rests. It's not a long song. It's a pretty quick one. You could sing it fairly quickly. Maybe you'd repeat it a few times if we were to try and sing it in church. You know, it'd be a, it'd be a short song. But there's a lot in this to for us to, to see, for us to take home. First, it begins, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest heaven. This line of the angel's song focuses on the one who set these events into motion. They begin with praise to God, the one who controls all the events on earth, the one who dwells in the highest place because of what is about to happen, the news they're about to share. Because of who this baby is. Because of all of this, people will respond to this message. They will respond with praise. They will say things like, my life was a mess. 
and you gave me purpose. I used to glorify myself, but now the glory is yours, God. I was wandering, lost, and alone. I'd been rejected by everyone I once loved and trusted, and you found me. I was living my life in fear, fearful of those around me, fearful of the future. And then, because of the Son you sent, I found freedom from my fear. One of my favorite things about Christmas, it's one of my most favorite things and one of the most difficult things, because for an entire month, we focus on the Christmas story. And it's difficult because I've got to come up with different ways to preach messages from the same text year after year after year after year after year. That if I was to say, for our, for our Advent series, for our Christmas series this year, we're going to look at the book of Leviticus. No, we're not. Try that. Go back to Luke 2. Thank you very much. And so it's, it's a challenge in that way, but I love it. I love it. Because for an entire month, we focus on the coming of God to earth, to the incarnation. As the Bible calls him, Emmanuel, God with us. And I believe that if we could somehow just one time grasp the love of God that exists right behind these familiar stories, that every single one of us would have no choice but to shout glory to God in the highest. That we come back to these stories and they become familiar, but if we could just get a little picture of the love that God has behind these, we would just explode with praise for God. The angel goes on to say this, or the angel's peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace means a lot of things to a lot of people. What, what does peace look like to a soldier in Ukraine right now? But what, what does peace look like to parents of a colicky baby? What, what does peace look like to a child whose parents won't stop fighting. Peace usually means the end of something. Usually when we talk about peace, we'll talk about, well, an end to war, an end to sickness, an end to conflict. So what kind of peace are the angels referring to? Is there a promise in what the angel said to any of these things? No, not really. All those are best temporary forms of peace. See, war is going to break out again. Babies will cry again. and Relationships will get strained again. The peace that Jesus brings, the peace that this baby would bring, is a personal, permanent kind of peace. Peace between the self-absorbed, willful, sinful people like you and me, and a holy God. Those whom God favors are those who understand and embrace the truth that God is offering a chance for us to have peace in our relationship with him. I'd love 
love to be able to stand up here and promise you that this Christmas, you can have peace in everything, in all ways, in every way. I would love to be able to stand up here and promise you that. But I can't. The Bible doesn't promise that. See, I think sometimes we, we can put too much emphasis on, and this, this might sound a little weird, but just, just give me a second to work through it all before you. But I think sometimes we can put too much emphasis on receiving the good news of Jesus just in light of being able to spend eternity with him. That, that we talk about you need to accept Jesus so you can spend eternity with your heavenly father. So you can know where, if you died tonight, do you know where you're going? It, you know, that we can say, Jesus, it's, ab it's about eternity. It's a fantastic truth. But it's, it's only part of the truth. See, the whole truth is that when we accept Jesus, we spend eternity with our Heavenly Father. And that is true. But in this song, we're being told that the coming of Jesus does more than just secure our eternity. It's not glory to God in the highest and peace to you when you die and you get to spend eternity with Jesus. But we're told it has the power to affect our lives right now. All of us, each one of us, you, me, every one of us, has a basic orientation to our lives. Some of us live very much in the here and now. That, that our hearts, our minds, the way we think about the world, we think about life, it, it, it's right now. And, and what, what is now? What do I need to do to make the best of things right now? Some of us tend to live our lives in the future. It, it's not about now. It's about later, and I need to make choices now that will make later better. And so I need to make my choices right now, and I'm not living for now. I'm living for a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now. And some of us, and if this is you, you probably know it very well, some of us tend to live our lives in the past. Reliving experiencing, focusing on what's already happened. But no matter where you find yourself today, and as God, as, the, as these angels spoke to these shepherds, the promise was peace. And so no matter where you find yourself living from, God has peace for you. Peace for all these parts of our lives. See, we have peace for our past. If there's anything in your past that causes you shame, embarrassment, guilt, this song promises that God has peace for you. If there's anything in your past that brings you sadness, grief, or loneliness, this song promises that you can be at peace. If there's anything in your past that brings you regret over the things you've done or said that hurt the people you love, 
this song promises you can be at peace. The Bible says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The slate has been wiped clean. All things are new with him. Living in Alberta, there's really two ways that our winters go. Like this, cold, snowy. But it can also be very brown. We haven't had a lot of that this year. We got snow and it's been cold enough to keep it. But a lot of years... We don't have a white Christmas. And when you drive around in southern Alberta when there hasn't been a lot of snow, it's not nice looking. Everything is brown, the trees are bare, everything looks dirty, everything looks just bleh. And it's in those moments when a snow comes, suddenly everything's white and clean. And it just looks fresh. And you, it, it may be cold, but you look outside and you're like, it's beautiful. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Brown. It's gross. Ugh, it just looks awful. And then a fresh snowfall. And we look outside at the same hill, the same going into Calgary, and you're driving down that hill, and you're just, oh, it looks awful. The next day, I live in the most beautiful place in the world. It's been made clean with snow. And that's, that's the promise that we have. When, when we, the angel said that peace, for, peace for on whom his favor rests, the things in our past that make us look and go, oh, gross. They'll be wiped away, and you'll be made beautiful. Second, we can have peace in the present. And uh, I'm not clicking forward. Um, I don't know if you can do that for me, Mom. Um, I guess it doesn't really matter. I, we have peace in the present. See, we can often think about peace being without trials and troubles. The absence of pain and heartbreak. The kind of, of peace that when we think of, oh, it's just a peaceful season of life. It's just a peaceful time in my life. We, we think it's when everything's good. But that kind of peace, while, while it's wonderful and it's nice and it's great to be able to live from those places, it can't be sustained. At least not in this world. See, Jesus gives us that promise. In John chapter 10, or John, sorry, John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus will say, In this world, you will have trouble. Now, that's not the kind of promise that we typically stand on that we claim for our lives, that we get tattooed on our arm, and we say, you know, it, my favorite, what's your favorite verse? My favorite verse is when Jesus promises that I'll have troubles. It's not the kind of promise we camp on and we say, this is it, this is great. 
Jesus tells us, and that's why I said earlier, I would love to be able to promise you that you're, you're going to have a trouble-free Christmas, that your lives and your relationships are going to be trouble-free, except if I promise you that, I'm ignoring what Jesus had to say. And so we need a peace that's not simply dependent on our circumstances. We, we need a peace that isn't just for us when things are good. We need something more than that. We need a peace that allows us to rise above the urgency of the immediate, that allows us to have a clear head and a peaceful heart in the midst of the chaos that can define our, our momentary life. And that's part of what the angel's song is about. So today, if what's eating you, it's not yesterday and it's not tomorrow, Not even in the middle of all the chaos of Christmas, we can recognize that Christmas is a promise that God has peace for you. And so if your day today is, is missing peace, God has peace for you today. And lastly, we have peace for the future. The angel's song gives us hope of peace for the future. Anxiety about the future will always rob the peace and tranquility of today. Listen and, and see if any of these thoughts sound somewhat familiar to you. What if my company goes under and I lose my job? What if my health takes a turn? What, what if my spouse leaves me? What if these unspeakable tragedies that we read about far too often in the news happen to me, happen to us? And if we just keep it up front and we just keep it real, all of those things can be true for you. It is possible that all of those things can be true. However, dwelling on our worst fears does nothing to prevent them. It robs us of our sleep, of our health, of our joy, and our peace of mind today. Jesus will say, which of you, by worrying, can add a single day to your life? And so as we, we look at the song of the angels, we, we see that for those of us who, we're not worried about what happened in the past, we're not really worried about today, but the pressure and the worry of what's to come is too much. That there's peace for us today. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but have you ever thought about, sort of recognized that when Jesus came into the world, when he was born, everything changed. But at the same time, not a whole lot changed. Society didn't change. Roman oppression and rule was still very, very real. Violence and tragedy were still present. We'll, we'll, you, we'll, re, we'll read about how King Herod ordered the murder of dozens of baby boys 
because of his own paranoia when he found out about this baby that the wise men are calling the king of the Jews. Everything changed, but the world was still the world. Tragedy has, does, and will come to us. But there's something else from this story that will not change. The Savior, the Messiah that the angels sang about, he's still alive and still involved in this world. This song, in a very real sense, is still being sung. The angels didn't sing this song and then go back into heaven to polish their halos. This, this song, the truth, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to whom his favor rests, this song is still being sung. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah proclaimed peace with a song of his own. He wrote this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And if you'd like to hear more about that, come to church on Saturday for Christmas Eve. But peace the peace that's promised to us, the peace that we can have because of Jesus is a peace that exists no matter the circumstances. The most real part about you is your soul. It's more real than your body. It's more real than your mind. The most real part about us is our soul. And when our soul is at peace with God, we have the capacity to endure any crisis, any tragedy, and any misfortune. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord Jesus, I thank you that when you entered into humanity, when you entered into our story, God, I thank you that it didn't just change things for a moment. It didn't just change things for a day, a year. It didn't just change things for a, a generation. God, I thank you that it's changed things for us today. And God, I thank you that the promise that these angels sang about, that, that we can have peace, God, I thank you that that's true for us today. And God, we also know that your promises are the battleground for the enemy. Because he wants to take away what you've promised us. And so God, I pray for those who have no peace. God, for those who might feel guilty or shameful. Because, well, God promised me peace and I don't have it. What's wrong with me? God, we pray into the, the spiritual warfare that's taking place in their lives. The, the battle that's being fought in their hearts and their minds and their souls as they look for this peace and can't find it. God, we pray that the promise of Christmas, the promise of this time of year, the promise that your son came and made a difference in the world, that that promise can make a difference in our lives today. And so God, we pray in the name of Jesus that peace would reign in our lives.
God, that we wouldn't look for peace because of circumstance. We wouldn't look for peace because of, of changing in, in something. And if this would just be different, but God, that we would look for peace in the Prince of Peace. And God, I pray that as we look for peace in the Prince of Peace, God, that you would come and meet us, that we, we wouldn't be put out into the cold and try and find you, but God, that as our hearts turn and our hearts look towards you, God, that we would see you and we would find you and we would experience peace. God, I thank you that we, year after year, get to remind ourselves that you came to us. And God, I pray for those who need peace right now that you would come to them. That in their lives, in their hearts, in their circumstances, in their situations, God, that your name, Emmanuel, would be deeply and profoundly true in their lives in this moment. That you would be God with us. And as you live with us, we would experience your peace. God, I thank you that that's what you have for all of us. It's not what you have for some of us. And God, I pray for those who are missing that in their life right now, that the Prince of Peace would come and minister peace to them today. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. Let us adore Him. Come, let us adore Him.